In New York at the Digital Book World Conference, the four horsemen have arrived, but predictions of imminent apocalypse may be premature. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. One path to salvation could lie in the pot of gold that lies at the end of the Apple ebook price-fixing case. With news on the latest developments from the Supreme Court there, Andrew Albanese from Publishers Weekly, senior writer there, joins me as he does every Friday. Andrew, good to see you here in New York. Greetings, Chris, and good to see you face-to-face. Indeed. So, listen, tell us, it's all over, I guess, for the moment. It's the Supreme Court who gets to decide, and they have denied Apple appeal in the price-fixing suit, and one of the great legal cases in recent publishing history is history. That's right, and I have to say it ended with a whimper rather than a bang, as they say. Apple's petition was simply listed as denied on the Supreme Court's order list, and with the denial, Apple will now pay $400 million to consumers in the form of refunds to their accounts, and of course, another $50 million in fees and attorney's costs will also be paid under the terms of a settlement with 33 states and a consumer class, but in fact, that $450 million probably turns out to be a bargain for Apple, who, with treble damages, was on the hook for over $800 million in damages, and that's not including the costs and fees that could have been tacked on as well. In a statement, Bill Baer, who heads up the DOJ's antitrust division, noted uh, that with the Supreme Court's denial, all in all, this action is going to return $566 million in refunds to consumers. And I invite you to just think about that for a moment. That's more than half a billion dollars in refunds for ebooks, Just incredible. Incredible indeed, but here at Digital Book World, we've been hearing a lot of incredible numbers, and uh, we'll talk about that at the end of our chat, but uh, as you say, uh, half a billion dollars sounds like a big number, but to a company like Apple, it may not be so big at all, and indeed, um, you mentioned Bill Baer's statement. He had some choice words for that company. He called their attempts to fight the suit cynical. That's true. I think, you know, you're probably right on, on both counts there, that it's probably pocket change for Apple. We'll finally get to repatriate a little bit of those Apple funds that are overseas, I guess. And indeed, Bill Baer did have some choice words for Apple. And of course, you can have choice words when you win. But I have to say, I don't think he's off base in calling Apple's attempt to fight this suit cynical. In fact, I think cynical is probably a pretty apt description of how Apple's counsel decided to fight this case. Uh, Now, I have to say that it was a great experience for me personally to watch Apple's world-class litigators work. Uh, They include Oren Snyder and Ted Boutros, two lawyers who are absolutely at the top of their profession. But the way they fought the case, it was pretty cynical, I thought, Uh, from the way they, for example, portrayed the monitor that Judge Coe appointed here, uh, Michael Bromwich. They sort of portrayed him as this roving investigative body when all he really did was set up an antitrust program for Apple, a training program for Apple. It was a very narrow order from Judge Coe. In addition, you know, they tried to portray in this case themselves that they were just vertical partners here that that really had no idea that they were embroiled in some sort of price-fixing conspiracy. But that certainly was not the case. And now that it's over, I have to say, it wasn't really a good look for Apple, whose executives really sounded kind of shady on the witness stand, and whose arguments uh, at the very end were more or less fiction when held up against the actual record in this case. And, and that's a point that Judge Denise Coe herself noted. And of course, that's not even to speak of the uh, hit jobs that Judge Coe herself took in the press. You know, as one who has covered this case uh, as closely, if not closer than anyone, let me say uh, for the record that I think Judge Coe ran probably the most efficient case that I've ever seen in my career. And the fact that you 
you and I are sitting here talking about a case that's actually finished <laughs> is an example of that, I think. Um, her decisions and her conclusions were upheld at every level. And even in his sort of wacky dissent, Judge Dennis Jacobs uh, did not disagree with Judge Coates' findings of fact. You know, as I think I've said many times on this podcast before, Apple argued a really great case. But unfortunately, the case they tried, the case that they put on here, was not the case that was borne out in the record. Well, I take your word for it that it's exciting to watch these uh, lawyers at the height of their game, uh, just as long as you don't have to pay the bill when it comes, I think that makes it even more exciting. So for someone who spent a lot of time in federal district court, who won't be making that trip uptown again for some time, your final thoughts before this goes to bed? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I have to say I remain sort of conflicted about this case. The publishers and Apple broke the law here. They absolutely did. Uh, if you have any doubt about that, I invite you to look at the record again. I feel that they did break the law here. But this was not a greed-driven price-fixing case like you often read about with you know industrialists, for example. I believe that the publishers believed they were acting within the law. And indeed, in the record, you can see that they were very much trying not to break the law. They were sort of walking a tightrope. And the fact is, they just lost their balance. Now, what's interesting to me is that in a very real sense, they won this week. Uh, you mentioned a pot of gold. Well, probably a good fraction of Apple's damages uh, refunds, those are going to fall to the publisher's bottom lines. And personally, I think that's only fair. To be honest, in my view, Apple took advantage of the publisher's fear in the early days of the ebook market, and they led them down this path. They admitted at trial that they sought to exploit market conditions, including the publisher's fear about Amazon, to create favorable terms for the iBookstore. And for that, in my opinion, they owe the publishers this money. You know, Apple never made any bones about it. They had only their own interests at heart at the time. In a broader sense, uh, the publishers did get what they wanted. You know, Apple helped them usher in the agency model, which in turn gave them a degree of control over consumer pricing. But as we've talked about on this show in recent weeks, too, the future of the ebook market from here is anyone's guess. Whether agency remains and what happens now, I really don't know, and it's hard for me to even venture a guess. Uh, on one hand, the Apple trial was at least a chance for the publishers to articulate their common fears about Amazon out loud and to the public. But we're going to see now, over the next couple of years, how each publisher individually, not collectively, deals with Amazon in the future, especially when one publisher, Penguin Random House, uh, controls half the bestseller list. But here's what I'm most conflicted by. In his statement, Bill Baer, who called Apple cynical, and also the attorneys at Hagen's Berman, the class action suit here, pointed out that consumers overpaid for ebooks. But overpaid compared to what? The fact is, consumers really were underpaying for many ebooks back in the early days when this scheme was hatched. Did Apple and the publishers illegally fix ebook prices? Yes, they did. The record shows that. But the DOJ action really didn't seem to address some major sin here. The publishers were more or less right to fear Amazon's power here. And even though they came up with a flawed scheme to sort of fight back against it, they were right. There was an issue that they needed to address here. Uh, as DOJ attorneys argued at the close of their trial, who knows how the industry would have solved the 999 problem. And I think that's probably the big takeaway for me here. When a company like Apple steps in and says, we can solve your Amazon problem and you all have to do it and we have to change the system and it all has to happen in two weeks, it's probably too good to be true. <laughs> But the legal consequences, I think, still going forward, maybe the least of all this. You know, we'll see in the next few years how agency pricing works out for publishers. Uh, and in the end, I think legal troubles aside, uh, the publishers got what they wanted. But I think it's an open question as to whether or not it was all for the best. 
finally, uh, a, a wonderful analysis there, but it, it, it sort of leaves us uh, wanting more, and we'll get more, because Apple will not be out of the news with the, with the end of the legal case. Obviously, these refunds will be paid out, and that's going to have uh, a ripple effect throughout the industry. And here at Digital Book World, uh, we've been hearing a great deal about these four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they are Google, Amazon, Facebook, and uh, Apple, of course. And so uh, from, from keynote speakers, Jonathan Taplin, uh, on, on Tuesday, and from Professor Scott Galloway of uh, NYU, um, we, we, we learned just the, the tremendous uh, uh, dominance of the platform, that the platform is king. And at the end of each one of those not very heartwarming presentations, I, I felt like the next step was we needed to start a bonfire and pile all of our iPhones and all of our tablets into the middle of the room, uh, that this was kind of a bonfire of the vanities here. Otherwise, we were going down in sin. And the sin is that these platforms are going to take over the world. You have some thoughts about the notion, though, that publishers can fight back by trying to push antitrust proceedings against Amazon. Tell us about those. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, with the close of the Apple trial, I think it's a wonderful chance for the industry to take take a look at what can really be achieved through lawyers. <laughs> and maybe they should take a closer look at what they can achieve through their, their own business dealings. Uh, as I said before, the Apple case was a great occasion for them to articulate their common issues with Amazon to articulate their common fears of the market. So my hope is that maybe we can put the lawyers aside for a bit here now and actually deal with how the market functions. And I think a good place to start, as we've talked about before, would be to reconsider signing non-disclosure agreements. It would be great for people to know exactly what the terms are under which information is being bought and sold in our country. I think it would give publishers more negotiation power with Amazon, too. I don't expect that to happen anytime soon. But yeah, I think that it's... uh, Antitrust and regulatory proceedings are probably not the best form at this particular stage to fight back against companies like Amazon. And I would urge publishers to look more at their business dealings and how they can do it that way. All right. Well, on a very warm day here in New York, you're advocating for sunlight. We've got some of that outside, and and some of it uh, inside the industry would be a great way uh, to move forward. Andrew Albanese, Senior Writer of Publishers Weekly, thanks for joining us on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights licensing technology and content workflow organization. At CCC, we serve more than 35,000 customers and 15,000 copyright holders worldwide. Copyright Clearance Center manages over 950 million rights in the world's most sought-after journals, books, blogs, movies, and more. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.